relationships that they have, whether it's in marriage and thus they need marital counseling or whether it's with kids and they forget how special that God has blessed them. I think it happens to us spiritually. It's good for us to be reminded to think back to the day when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. Um, I love going down to Cherry Hill, uh, New Jersey, and once in a while when I am down there, I'll make my way over to Springdale Road and just stop in the back of that um, church parking lot and just sit and envision what happened many years ago. For me, it was in 1970. My parents started going to a new church from Cherry Hill, or new to us, I should say. It was a church plant um, from Hedonites Baptist, and it was Bethel Baptist in Cherry Hill. And we started going there, and pretty early in our going, there was a speaker from, um, it was a missionary to Italy, uh, Dr. Bill Fusco. And he was putting on a um, uh, presentation that morning, preaching through ventriloquism, which really had my, my interest. And that whole message, just what I remember is just the whole message was, was, was on hell. And it was pretty scary and, and the reality of being separate from God for all of eternity. And I could just remember sitting in that pew and gripping that, that, that um, pew in front of me. And he, at the invitation, said, if anybody would like to come and accept Christ as Savior, please come forward. Well, during the invitation, I went the other direction. Um, I went backwards and went out that church doors, ran down to the, uh, my parents' car, just got in the back of my dad's car. And, and that day, I put my faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ as my Savior. May we often remember what God has done. May we go back and visit that and standing in the shadow of the cross, never taking for granted what God has done. Because when we remember, when we have good memories, then we'll have good behavior, right behavior. Let's bow and open in prayer. God, we thank you for your amazing grace to us. God, we thank you for your mercy to us. Lord, may we Go back to the fundamentals this evening and just to think of your mercy and your riches and just what you have done for us. God, may it move us again and may it motivate us to live as you would have us to live. As we think of all of the goals that we may have this year, we hear, think of messages that we'll hear and the application that will be driven home to us. God, what is the motivation behind all of us? It's those of us that have become members of your family that have put our faith and trust in you. God, may we have that motivation because of what you've done for us. I pray in Christ's name, amen. As I read, if you would turn there, if you're not there, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. I mean, verses 4 to 7. But in verses 1 to 3, Paul outlines man's dead spiritual state outside of Christ. The Bible says that, that man is dead in their sins. The one that has not put their faith and trust in Christ yet, he declares that, that we're dead spiritually. Um, man doesn't sin because, you know, he just is a bad person. He's spiritually dead and thus he sins. He doesn't have a choice. There's no life in him. There's no um, spiritual life that he could please God and honor God by the way he lives. So thus we sin. We fall short because we have the sin nature. We're spiritually dead. I think I've shared this before, but back in 1977, after my grandfather passed away, I traveled down from BBC in October um, to attend his funeral. And sitting in the front of the church where they had attended, and sitting in the front row, and my, my grandfather had an open casket in the front, and grandma was just in the, in, in the first pew and was just weeping and just was 
to control herself. At one point, she just gets up, and we're all paralyzed, except my brother is, and he's able to bring her back. But what she said was so moving, and it's just burned in my mind. She said, Frank, get up. Get up, Frank. Crying that to her husband, my grandpa, that was in the coffin. Well, my precious grandfather didn't get up because he was, he was dead, dead physically. Spiritual people... People that are spiritually dead can't get up because they're dead. It's the same reality that they're in a coffin. They're spiritually dead. They cannot please God. Man apart from God is really a spiritual zombie, right? We're just, they're just spiritual zombies. They're walking dead who don't even know that they're dead. They might go to church and they might have all of the religious actions and conduct and think that they're a religious person, think they're pleasing God, but the Bible says in Ephesians 2 and other places that they are, they are dead spiritually. So what I want us to look tonight is to be reminded of what has God done in our lives and look at a very familiar passage, but may I say a very awesome, powerfully deep and rich passage. We're going to look at some of these words and just sit under the waterfall of God's mercy and grace, just be bathed by this incredible truth as we see what God um, unfolds here. In verse 4, I want us to see the root of our salvation. But God being rich in mercy... You know, he's hammered home, he's driving home the point in verses 1 to 3. These points that just keep reminding the Ephesian believers of their past. He says, you were dead in your trespasses, and they're thinking of that day that they're dead in their sins. Then he says, and you walked according to the prince of the power of this air. You're controlled by him, that you were sons of disobedience. In fact, you were under the God, under God's wrath. So they're remembering all of this position. But then the first two words in verse 4 changed everything for them. And if they look back, and for us to look back, these first two words change everything in our lives. But God. So he's driving home spiritual deadness, spiritual separation, child of wrath, children of disobedience, prince of the power of this air. We're under this dark, enveloped under this dark cloud. But then God entered the picture. God entered the picture to change everything for us. And so Paul writes, but God. These are the two greatest words in all of the Bible. But God, God provided the initiative. God took the initiative, but God, and he acted. But look at the next word. But God, what does it say? Becoming? You know, if it said becoming, then it would say a lot that's not true about God. Um, if we were to say um, he's... Dave coaches little lads basketball. He's becoming a good player. Well, he's not there yet, but he's becoming. Like little Timmy's becoming better. <laughs> um, or they might say of a skill, um, he's becoming more skilled at his work and what he's doing. He's not there yet, but he's getting better and better. Or as a, you know, in teaching, you know, we keep wanting to become better and better in teaching. We're not there yet, but we're, we're getting better. But here it doesn't say better. It says, but God being. It's defining the very essence of God. This is a present active participle. It's God's possession. God is describing his essence, but God being. So we're now really stepping into, into very, very sacred territory. We're stepping into a, a sacred area. This word is really taking us into the inner recesses of the creator. Paul is sharing, this is what the creator, this is the one that saved you. This is who he is. 
So now we step into that, that inner recesses. The curtain of the Holy of Holy, the veil is pulled aside and we're able to gaze in to the very center of God's essence and being. But God being rich in mercy. So he's, he's defining God's, God's essence. He's defining who he is. This one that took you in this spiritually, took me in this spiritually dead estate. A power of the air controlled us. Prince of the, prince of darkness. We were under his control, but he got involved. But God being. But what is he being? What, what is his essence? Paul says, rich in mercy. God, God was rich in mercy. God's mercy. We'll look at the word rich in a moment, but, but what is mercy? What is, he, what is he stating here? Mercy really expresses God's goodness. We look at mercy and we think of goodness. It's expressing God's, God's love, God's compassion, God's pity for those that are most wretched and miserable. God looked down and he had mercy. He looked down and that day in February of 1970, he saw Dave Crompton, all of his proud pride and self-righteousness and going to church and what he was trusting in and broke through that, that dark cloud that enveloped me, that was consuming me because I did not belong to God, I belonged to Satan. But God was rich in his mercy and his essence expressed towards me. He, he had pity on me, he had compassion as he did to you. But God being rich in mercy we're familiar with the word mercy. You know, I can only imagine by mercy me or whatever the name of the group is. But it's, it's, we're familiar with it, but may we not become so familiar that we take it for granted. May it not lull us to sleep. Oh yeah, okay, God's rich in mercy. But, but remember, you're dead. God was rich in mercy to you, but he had compassion on you. It's not like you were some little special prize walking on earth. This is, oh, I've got to have them in my family. God had pity, God, God had pity, God had compassion. Mercy, mercy is giving us what we don't deserve. There's not one person that would stand here and say, well, you know, hold on. <clears throat> you, see, you see who I am? <laughs> I'm John Coleman. <laughs> uh, you know, I deserve it. I'm a special person. And you are. Um, but God was rich in mercy to us. We didn't deserve it. And grace, grace is the flip side. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. God was rich in mercy. Let me, let me define the word rich by, by this illustration. On December 31st, we, um, we were at our daughter's place. She had just bought a place in Queens, and Lynn and I were there. We're painting, had a lot of work that we were trying to help her with. And the Georgia-Michigan football game, come on. Now, my, my grandson, Josiah, and the family out there is, is big Wolverine fans. My wife is a Wolverine fan. You know, they, they bleed blue and gold. You just wouldn't know it by looking at Lynn, right? Um, but Michigan fans. So we're sitting down, and we're going to root for Michigan. Let's spank those Bulldogs. And we were a little bit of trash talking back and forth to Brent. You know, I was, I was enthused about, here come Mich Michigan. This is their year. And from the word go... They were totally spanked by, by, by the Bulldogs. I mean, I don't know if there was a glimpse of hope in, in Michigan. I mean, can just overwhelmed, consumed, completely dominated. To the point of in the first quarter, I went back to painting. The game was hopeless. I'm not going to waste my time. There's a lot of work to get done here. 
Well, that's the word rich means, to be so overflowing, overwhelming, to be completely dominant of something. And that's, that's the idea of God is rich in mercy. He had to be to save us. He was rich in compassion. He was rich in pity. So this God acted on our behalf. He really, he's the abundance of mercy. He's the, he's the well of mercy. He's the spring of mercy. It's natural to him. That's, that's what Paul is saying here. Mercy is just natural to God. It's who he is. You know, if mercy was, was something simply he had, then his truly, his inner essence wouldn't be merciful. It just happens to have mercy. But he's basically merciful. That's def- defining his essence. But God being, being, not God having mercy, but God being rich in mercy, that is his essence. That's a description of who he is. Because that's who he is, he reached out and saved you. He reached out and saved me. When God shows mercy, he's acting in a way that is true to himself. It's true to his nature. God is simply acting out who he is. God in his deepest recesses is merciful. God is merciful. You know, we, I could have asked tonight, maybe I should have, what, what's your biggest view or your biggest characteristic that you think of God? We could come up with all of these. But mercy is just as deep as any of them because in his inner essence, he is merciful. So Paul dwells on that and reminds the Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy. You know, God, Christ wasn't sent um, to come down here and to help people that were pretty good. He didn't come down to just coach people um, how to be a little bit better, people that were just a little misled. He didn't come down to... to to, to um, educate people that were a little confused. Well, you're just a little confused. You just need a little bit of help. He wasn't talking about people that just happened to miss the boat. We were people that needed mercy. We were people that were consumed with our sin. Think verses one to three. We weren't just tipping our toe in the, a little bit of the edge of the water. I could think back to when your son Matt and a group of us were out in Yellowstone and we were on this overnight hike. And we came to this one area where we were just exhausted and rest, and Tim's very, his toe was hurting, so it was a good chance for us to drop our packs and have a little rest. Some of the guys went down to this, this spring, this um, geyser. Um, and Yellowstone, the thermal waters are incredibly hot. You don't want to touch the thermal waters. In fact, if you're, you, you'll, you'll get burned instantly, and if you spend two seconds in it, chances are you'll die. You just don't want to get anywhere near the thermal water. They're a lot of different color. So I can remember Matt and someone else getting real close and just touching a little bit of the edge to see how hot it was. Well, because it was the edge and it wasn't very deep, it wasn't very hot. But it's not like we were just tipping a little bit in sin. We had dived into that pool, that thermal waters, and we were consumed in in sin. We were engulfed in it. But God was merciful. Think one to three. We were under God's wrath. We were dead in sins. We were by nature the children of wrath. You know, we didn't live in the passions of, we didn't just, you know, touch the passions of the flesh. We lived in the passions of the flesh. We ate the passions of the flesh. We slept the passions of the flesh. We dreamed the passions of the, fa- the flesh. We breathed those passions. We were consumed with it. That, that's what he's outlining, and that's why we needed God's mercy. 
for us to go back and to be reminded of all that God has done, what you rescued me from. This was my passions. I willfully rejected God. I willfully chose to rebel against him. And some of you say, well, that really wasn't me. I was a, a pretty good person. Let me tell you about good. My, my parents took me to um, Mount Calvary Union Church in Runnymede, New Jersey, before we started going to Bethel. And uh, what a mouthful, right? What, what, what in the world is a union church? I, I don't know. But they preached the Bible. They were true to the word of God there, and they still are today, that little church. But every year that I went, you ever, how many of you, did you get Sunday school pins? Any of you ever get Sunday school pins? You Doreen, okay? We got this pin for the first, and then you built all of these pins off of it. Oh, yeah. You know, for years of, of, of perfect attendance, I don't remember what it was. I just know I had a whole bunch of pins. And it was with joy I put on that coat on a Sunday morning because I, I had all of these pins going down, you know? I mean, like, so you could be a perfect little child having all of these Sunday school pins. You could be that child as I was at night kneeling with my mom and folding my hands and saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, help be thy name. We can come, boop, zoom in bed. I mean, you could be just a smiling, squeaky, clean little child, but we are fraudulently hypocritical, proud in our works, and we're still separated from God. God who is rich in mercy, just driving home that point and causing the Ephesians to remember what God has done for them. So his essence, rich in mercy, but he drives on. There's a parallel point that he's hitting. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So God, God is rich in mercy, and then he brings in another equation here, but he's, he's rich in love, or he's deep in his love towards us, this great love that he has. Well, what is love? We hear so much about love today, but you understand the agape, the word agape, right? This love has no limits. This agape love has no boundaries. Go as deep as you want, as high as you want, or as wide as you want. That's the love. So God, in this state of being merciful demonstrated love towards us and he acted on our behalf. Sometimes I think we think of God's mercy or love as, as um, tolerating us or, or when we sin or when we fail. God, yeah, he's displeased with us and maybe he backs off a little bit. That's not the picture here. When we're in this state of separation from him, rebellion from him, it's the idea of God is lunging towards us in love. Despite who we are and what we're doing, God is... I'm acting in love towards us, and that is still true of us today. That God loves us despite of our, of our um, false actions or wrong actions, despite of what, what we do. Um, we're in this state. God loved us. You know, I have, Lynn and I have been going through, through um, our family albums. You know, it's humbling sometimes when I stop and think, wow, I'm the end of the line. I mean, my brother's gone, my mom's gone, my dad's gone, there was just four of us. So I'm going through all of the, the family albums. I mailed some down to my, some more down to my, my nephew. But pictures that I see of my brother brings back a lot of memories. I, like this one time when I was three doors down, you wouldn't know this. I'm sure this is going to shock you. Um, but I'm walking down and there were two guys in, in a garage and I had a fresh mouth. And uh, I said something to them. And they start walking towards me. Now, I was like 12 or 13. You know, I wish I could say it was only five. Um, but I'm 12 or 13. And they start walking towards me and start to make some threatening, threatening movements toward me. And I did what any brave 12 or 13-year-old kid would do. 
I just yelled real loud, Rich. I just yelled, Rich! Because I knew he was outside. And I was just waiting as they came closer and closer. Sure enough, I see him running down the block, three houses down, he's lumbering away. Now, Rich, Rich was a strong guy. He was only 10 and a half months older than I, but he it was frustrating me. It either says he's strong or I'm really weak, but he would pin me like this, and just with the other arm, just keep tapping me in the chest. But you see, he still loved me, and he was going to defend me. He came running down there, and he talked those guys out, and he took me home. But you see, I was wrong. There wasn't anything the question about that, but because he loved me and his affection for me, even in the midst of me being wrong, he rose up to defend me. That's the picture that I'm trying to find of God here. God in his mercy and his love, that we were wrong, but he rose up to defend us, to choose us, to save us, and to bring us into his family. God's great love fills his heart, but mercy flows from his heart. God's love fills his heart, but mercy flows from his heart. Though offended and sinned against, he didn't toss us aside. God reached out and cared for us. My dad was, in 1938, was 16 years old. And he and Tommy were walking down. Their mom had, had um, given them some money to go to the, to the grocery store. And they were walking back with the food items. And they had bought a candy bar and they were taking turns eating the candy bar. So Tommy had eaten his candy bar. They switched spots. Tommy was on the outside, and Dad was on the shoulder eating his candy bar. Tommy was carrying um, the groceries. And as they're walking, seconds after they had switched, a car came and hit Tommy, dragged him to his death. Um, It was a family friend that was partially drunk. Now, as that family went through all of that nightmare of the death of their, 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 their brother, their son, and, and a family friend, and, and all that was involved, let me take that scene off without telling their whole story. But if a person hits a child, they'll probably be arrested, and they'll probably be convicted for manslaughter. Now, if they serve their time and get out, As much as that man, and this guy wanted to have it, but it wasn't until my grandparents that I never met would would give forgiveness, as much as he might want a relationship, it's not going to happen. It has to be the party that's offended has to reach out and say, I forgive you, and based on that now, we are going to reconcile and have a relationship together. That's what God did. God's the offended party. God reached out and said, I, I, I forgive you, and now I reconcile you. I bring you in, and we're having a relationship together. That's the root of our salvation. Verse 4 is a powerful verse. But God, who is rich in mercy, with which he loved us. But look at verse 5. I want us to look at the results of our salvation. Verses 5 and 6. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. He has talked about in the past of this dead condition that we were in, that we were separate from God and how God acted. God got involved with the, those two great words, but God. And we step into verse 5. Even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive. To be made alive means to, to give life. But there's something stunning about this verb. 
this Greek verb. There's a preposition attached to it. Made alive together. Can you guess what it is? Made alive together with. It's the, the Greek um, preposition soon. On the front of it's attached. Made alive together with. We can't be made alive together in ourselves. There is a person involved here. And, and Paul is hammering home the point. Made alive together with. And then he's about to introduce Christ. So we're in this dead spiritual state. And he's reminding them of it again. I mean, he drives this point home a couple of times. I just want you to, to know the joy that you're, you're alive together with Christ. We need to remember that in 2022. These testimonies that we gave or testimonies that we didn't give, we need to think back to that day when we put our faith and trust in Christ. I mean, that, that moment fill our hearts with gratitude to God again. I mean, we have tears, and that's what I appreciate often about you, Dennis, giving your testimony, tears that come. I mean, we always have tears when we remember the day that Christ saved us, made alive together with Christ. Maybe... Remember what it was like to be dead. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of the widow of Nain in Luke chapter 7. Here she is carrying in this dirge, this funeral dirge, walking to the outside the city gates to bury her son. But the words that are so penetrating when it says, behold, a man who had died, was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. She's in a desperate situation. There's no social security that's going to take care of her needs. She's buried the only male that probably would have cared for her and helped her meet her needs as a, 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 a widow, a single woman in that day and age was pretty difficult to, to, to live. And Jesus coming is moved with compassion as he sees the plight of this woman. But it was all divine appointments. There's no chance. There's never a chance by God. We're saved. God interacts because of God's amazing grace and mercy. And as he meets and he sees all that's happening, he goes to the, to, to the coffin, to the cast, and he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. Imagine the joy of the mom when her son was brought back to life. That's us Spiritually. We were dead spiritually. We were in that casket. We were trusting in what we can do. We were trusting in our works. And God brought us, made us alive. May we remember that day. May we rejoice in that day. And may that day drive us. Drive us to say no to sin. Drive us to say no to self-centeredness. Drive us to say no to the conduct that puts our kingdom ahead of God's. And drive us to gratitude to submit and bow to him. Being rich, made alive. By God's grace, we're saved. He stepped into the subject of grace. He says, you're made alive. Then he says, by grace, you're saved. I mean, he's packing it. He's talking about mercy. He's talking about grace. And there's one more awesome word um, in here, kindness. But God's grace. Well, what does grace mean? We sang it tonight, amazing grace. Grace, some of you might have heard the, the ditty, um, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is basically this. God is for you. That's grace. That God's for you. Let me add one more element. God's for you. You ready? When you are not for God. God's for us. Essence of grace is that, that yeah, it's unmerited favor. But God is for us. Made us alive. By grace, you're saved. 
It's not where we could hold up and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a trophy. You got, you got quite a catch here, God. Let's go take care of everybody else. We have nothing to offer. God's grace, God's unmerited favor saved. God's grace saved us. God is for us. Oh, the wonder of it all. May I not get over that fact of what God has done for me. God may, when I start to get grumpy towards people or, or have wrong goals or, or complain or take things for granted or I start to pursue the temporal, not the eternal, when I start to pursue things, God may remember what you have done in your grace. So Paul keeps packing these words. And he says, by grace, you're, you're, you're saved. Now, if saved was to be a, a temporary tense, by grace you might be saved, you know. But, but it's the, the very tense of the word saved is overwhelming. Perfect, perfect tense is something that begins over here and it goes to here and it just keeps going. It's an eternal present. Saved is in the perfect tense. It began back there at a specific point for me in February of 1970, and it never ends. It just keeps going and going and going and going. By grace, you have been. By grace, you are saved. You see what he's building to, just as a PS? He's building to more than just to verse 10. For you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. May we not sit on all of this stuff. May we put it into action. But he's really about to blow off the doors in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because chapters 1, 2, and 3 is position. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is practice. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is doctrine. And chapters 4, 5, and 6 is duty. So he's, he's laying this incredible foundation. So when he gets to the therefore... In chapter 4, verse 1, their doors are boom, 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 because they're remembering all that he's just shared. So we're, like, we're just peeking at one couple, a little section to the therefore, chapters 4, 5, and 6. By grace, you have been saved. This is who you are. This is what, this is what God has done. Our present state, you know, is dependent on one thing, isn't it? Our present state of being saved is dependent on one thing. And what is that one thing? Is it your works? How many thinks is your works? No, no, thank you, coach. <laughs> it's on the past appropriation of Jesus Christ. So this, this, present, this present relationship, this present um, state of salvation is dependent only on, on, on my relationship to Jesus Christ, that I have appropriated him. But let's, let's, let's step into verse 6. It gets even better. And raise us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Maybe we should have had a, a question and answer time and asked this. What are two reasons why Christians struggle? I, I think we we could state that Christians struggle for, for maybe two reasons. One, because they realize, they fail to realize the depth of sin. And secondly, they fail to realize the awesomeness of all that God has done for them in salvation. And here he's, he's unpacking the awesomeness of our salvation. Look at what it's, what it's saying. And raise us up together with Christ. Paul's making a comparison here. Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And so we were dead in our sins. God's going to raise us again. But he goes more than that. Look, look at what he's saying. 
seated us in the heavenly places. Um, let me ask you, where, where are you right now? Erica, where are you? You're in Faith Baptist Church, right? In Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, it's going to be hard, Dave. Where are you? <laughs> this is, we're, we're seated right here. But you know what? You know what this verse is really saying? Seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm not trying to impress you with the little Greek that I know, but this is another awesome term. This is in the aorist tense. You say, what's the aorist tense? I'm not sure. <laughs> no. um, it's, it's really, it's often referred to as the past completed action tense. But it also used sometimes in a weird way to refer to something in the future that is so certain. So it's using a past completed tense idea, but it's not anything akin to that, and it's taking something that's in the future, but it's speaking of certainty. Um, Romans 5 eight, but Jesus died for us. That's in the aorist tense. That's a past fact. So it's taking a fact that's really the past, but it's jetting it into the future because it is so certain. And it's saying you are seated in the heavenly places. You're, once you put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our salvation is so eternally secure, God is speaking of it as if we are already in the heavens. Do you get what that's saying? You think you're here. In faith, no, you're here in Faith Baptist. But God views you as if you're there in eternity to come. I mean, what an awesome phrase that we're seated in the heavenly. Our salvation is so guaranteed that God already has us in the heavenly places. We're running out of time. But I want to get to the word kindness. So in the coming ages, what is the purpose? What is the purpose for our salvation? Uh, Steve, we're going to skip Hebrews 1, um, but if you want to take it, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, just shoot on if you put on Hebrews 1, 3, and um, 12 for me. Um, I, want, I want you to see the word seated really conquers two things, completion and victory. We're seated in the heavenlies. Here it talks, um, he in the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, upholds the universe by his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of his majesty on high. And then the next verse is capturing the same idea to which the angels, he said, sit at my right hand. And, and there are other verses where we could prove this, show the same use of this word. But seating is the idea of completion and victory. We are seated in the heavenlies. It's completed. We're victorious. We're pulling back the curtains here and looking back to what God has done in our lives, being reminded of this amazing grace, a song that we so easily sing and his mercy, but what he's done for us because of our citizenship in Christ. But let's look at the reason. Okay, God, why did you do it? Why, why did you save us? God, God, Why? He tells us in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We would probably give the right catechism answer. Why God saved us? Well, to glorify him. I think that's somewhere in the Westminster Catechism. You know, we're to glorify him. That's the purpose of why we're created. But But How? Yeah, to live this life on earth, but he looks at a whole different purpose here. 
He's having us in the ages that are in the future. And really this, this word, verse 7, in the ages to come, it really can be translated the ages that will stumble one upon another. That he's showing us in the ages that will continually be coming, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. One day, God will, will walk us through the wardrobe into Narnia. And we will stand there and we will see the sights before us and be shocked at his beauty, at his splendor, at his majesty, but more so at the lamb. You know, when we took a trip out from Michigan in 2010, my dad was living with us and our family drove out to attend my brother's funeral. He had died of a massive heart attack, ten, ten and a half months older than I. And as dad and I were, were um, at Rich's uh, casket, um, it was in the foyer of the church, we were alone, and he, he was just crying, and I'm holding him up, and he says, a, a father shouldn't have to bury his son. And then he says, Dave, do you think Rich, Rich had passed away five days earlier, do you think Rich has seen mom? I paused for a moment. I said, Dad, imagine Rich stepping into heaven and the splendor that is before him and the heavenly anthems giving praise to God and his eyesight's focused beyond all of the splendor under the throne of the Lamb of God. I think Rich may take a few tens of thousands of years before he realizes mom's there too through the ages to come. God just displaying his incredible grace. But I want to hit the word kindness. If you would forbear that with patience with me just a couple more minutes. Um, this word kindness is too sweet to skip. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable, that's immeasurable, surpassing, having no limit, excessive riches of his grace. But he wraps it in a word kindness that, that I've never seen it until I studied it this week. And it's, it's pretty shocking with this word kindness and what he's saying here. That God does it all in kindness. It means his goodness and his uprightness, his friendliness, his loving kindness. But it has a, another meaning that is, hear me on this, is pretty awesome. To take away any discomfort that one might have. That he, he's showing all of his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness, taking away discomfort for all of eternity. And when I saw that word, I went to this illustration immediately. Looking at kindness and his grace here. Imagine that you have your elderly parent living with you. And they live on the lower level. And let's say you have a fireplace on the main level. And you know, one thing that this elderly parent loves is the fireplace. In fact, you have memories of them sleeping in front of the fireplace on occasion because they love it so much. But they can't walk anymore up the stairs. So your love for them to get them in front of that place is you're going to carry them up the stairs. So on a Saturday, they're going to be sitting in front of that, that fireplace. But you're not just going to put them in the wheelchair because you're concerned that 
they get bed sores, and so you put a cushion, the right cushion under them, and a cushion back, and then you get them in front of the fireplace. And, our, and, and the fireplace, you open the door, because when we really feel the heat, you don't have it shut behind those glass doors. You have a safety rug there, but you open the door, and then it really kicks it out. But you're concerned because you don't want their legs to burn, so you feel their legs, and then you elevate it because they're swelling in their legs, and they have to have their, their legs elevated. Then you get a stool and you put a cup of hot tea next to them because they like hot tea. And as they sit in front of the fire, then you see the smile come and they say, oh, that is nice. You see, that's, that's this word kindness, taking away any discomfort that they might have, meeting their every need so that they could thoroughly enjoy. That's what, that's what he's doing to us. And that's the future that in the ages to come he might show the riches of his, of his grace and kindness towards, towards us. We are the recipients towards us. And we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good work. God, what should I do for you this year? Why should I live for you this year? Why should I serve you this year? Ephesians 2, 4-7 unpacks some incredible reasons of this God, but God, who's rich in mercy and his great love and grace towards us in kindness in the ages to come. God, we love you and we thank you for your stunning grace to us. God, may we never get over all that you have done. And God, if there are any here listening to what I've said tonight and had never come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. May this be the day. May they meet a God that is so merciful, so gracious and kind. God, we love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.